The holiday season is now upon us. The year is absolutely flying by, and the news never stops. That's why we at the DSR Network have expanded our programming to cover even more of the world's events. We hope you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of November, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code STUFFING at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code STUFFING. Thank you very much for your support. Hello and welcome to the DSR Daily, our summary of the news and analysis from around the world. Some people call it the Daily Doom Scroll, but who knows? There may be some good news in there somewhere. Good morning, Riley Fessler. How are you doing? I am doing well. Good morning, Chris Cottonmore. How are you doing? And what's your first story? Uh, I'm doing great, thanks. Um, I've come to the realization that one job that I would never want to have is Secretary of State. Uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with his South Korean counterpart um, and indicated his um, worries about support for North Korea's ballistic missile programs and nuclear technology. Um, He's been on a whirlwind tour in the Middle East uh, for the better part of the last week, two weeks, um, with multiple trips. And you know, attempting to um, squash uh, the many fires that are blazing right now um, across the world. It's not a position that I envy, and I'm grateful for people like Secretary Blinken um, and others for, for doing what they do, because it's not an easy job. I'm glad you don't want to be Secretary of State, because we need you here. Um, the reality is that uh, Tony Blinken is doing an extraordinary job. Uh, when he was in the Middle East just now, it was his third trip to the region since October 7th. Uh, obviously, the United States has a lot of major pressing interests around the world, Ukraine, Israel-Gaza, um, issues in the broader Middle East, uh, Indo-Pacific region uh, containing rapidly growing uh, threats to, from China, Um, uh, uh, North Korea's growing ties to Russia, um, pressures at our borders, uh, climate issues, uh, transnational issues, including drug smuggling and, 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 uh, the rise of new threats like AI, um, and other kinds of technologies. And he's dealing with all of this tirelessly. Um, but he also does something different than a lot of secretaries of state. And I've known every secretary of state for the past, 30, 40 years, um, he's got a lot of humility. He's a, he's, 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 he's a mensch. He's a, he's a good human being. He listens to people. Um, uh, so not only is he tireless, but I think he's representing us well. And I think given the enormous number of challenges we face, the results have been exceptional. Um, Riley, speaking, you know, well, let's go from the sublime to the ridiculous. Yes. Yes, the, we were treated to the third Republican debate last night, and it was 
basically the clown show you'd expect. Um, some of the highlights, Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley's intensely personal beef continued uh, with it reaching a new height where he, Vivek was asked a question about his use of TikTok for campaigning. And he tried to deflect by saying that Nikki Haley's daughter uses TikTok, which is a weird defense in and of itself. But uh, Nikki Haley was not having any of that and responded, quote, leave my daughter out of your voice. You're just scum, which I mean, great line, um, but not sure that's the tone of Republican unity that they might be needing right now. Um, Other strange moments, uh, Vivek opened by saying that Joe Rogan, Elon Musk, and Tucker Carlson should have been the moderate should have been the moderators of the debate, which, again, strikes me as a very unserious response. But on a more serious note, foreign policy, primarily Israel-Gaza, was a pretty large presence in the debate. Um, the candidates' responses were none too surprising. Almost all of them primarily supported Israel unequivocally. Um, and then one of the interesting ending points was Tim Scott brought his girlfriend on stage which has been a point of speculation for some time, given that he has never been married. So I, I, I don't know if it was an attempt to beat those allegations. Um, but yeah, so just a weird debate all around. Again, not really going to matter much, given that Trump is still blasting all of them out of the water anyway, and he wasn't even there. Yeah, and at the beginning of the debate, they said, well, why should you be the candidate, not Trump? And and you know the responses were very, very ginger around Trump, like, well, he raised the, the, you know, the national debt, um, you know, and, and ignored totally the fact that he's, you know, indicted four times for 91 felony counts as a racist, a rapist, a, a fraud, was impeached twice, you know, as supporting our enemies, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They, they don't seem to, to care about all of that. Uh, their foreign policy prescriptions were ridiculous. And essentially, it was a competition to see how close they could get to Bibi Netanyahu's vision of, you know, total destruction in the Middle East. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Tim Scott's not really even in this race anymore. So, I mean, it's interesting that he's decided to cast some light or make some spin about his personal life. Um, and Vivek, man, I, look, I tweeted last night, some of the folks on that debate stage may have been running to be Trump's VP. Vivek is hoping to be named ambassador to the kingdom of the tiny little green ant people who live in his brain and won't stop shouting. Um, he's nuts. I mean, Vivek is nuts and spewed lies um, like, you know, water from the Trevi fountain in Rome, but not one of the moderators really challenged any of the lies. They just went with it. Um, and uh, one of the moderators was Hugh Hewitt, who is easily as crazy a choice as a moderator as those people that were nominated by Vivek. I don't know why I watched it from beginning to end. It was kind of fascinating, kind of like watching a car wreck on the highway as you drive by it, kind of rubbernecking it, the horror of it all. Um, None of these people will play any role of consequence in, in the future of the United States with the possible exception of Nikki Haley if Trump stumbles. Um, I mean, we haven't even talked about Ron DeSantis, who is just deeply weird from beginning to, to end, uh, sort of a misprogrammed bot. Chris? 
I think all that was missing was the <clears throat> the slap with Nikki Haley walking over to Vivek. Nice. That would that's a nice the, pop culture reference, and I would have I would have been there for it. I mean, sh- look, I I'm, I'm not a huge Nikki Haley fan, but she was a quantum level above everybody else in that debate in terms of substance. And- so I've been covering the Google antitrust trial, um, but if you weren't paying attention, uh, Google's involved in another lawsuit. And this one is with Epic Games. I'm raising this because... Because you uh, play the games? <laughs> no, but my sons do. I see. My, my sons are big Fortnite fans, so Epic is the publisher of Fortnite. Um a couple of years ago, they brought a lawsuit against Apple, which essentially challenged Apple's um, uh, Apple tax, where you know essentially every everything that goes through the App Store, Apple keeps either a thirty or fifteen <clears> percent fee. Um, the thing that Epic Games did, though, that that kind of ruffled feathers was they were circumventing the process. Um, they attempted to do the same with Google. Uh, and by circumventing the process, I mean they were circumventing the process by letting people uh, either pay through the, through their own payment methods or alerting them to the fact that alternate payment methods were available. Um, it's a big case because, you know, to this point, uh, these app stores, Google, um, and Apple have had complete control and have kept a sizable amount of the money from developers. And while on the one hand, these developers probably wouldn't have that income source if it wasn't for Apple and Google, um, the other hand is they should have the ability to be able to make their customers aware uh, that there are other ways um, to pay. So, so that's what's at stake. Uh, given the Apple trial ended with uh, Epic losing nine of ten um, counts, uh, the one being the one that was upheld was uh, in California, where they, if they were going to allow Epic Games to participate, would have to alert people that there were alternate payment methods. I suspect this probably goes in that direction, um, but it's a it's another interesting case. Um, involving a big tech company with a lot of power. Yeah, we're at an interesting juncture. Big tech companies have built up power akin to the robber barons of the 1890s and the 1900s. Uh, There is now beginning an effort to push back on some of that because we've seen the abuses. And yet uh, we're also at the dawn of a new era with regard to AI and some other new technologies where the cost of entry and of being truly competitive is so high um, that fewer and fewer big companies or countries are going to be able to play in it. And uh, the consequence of that is going to be further concentration of power, particularly if you have very capable AI, which gets smarter and smarter as it goes along and gives you a big advantage over everybody else. So the real question here is whether the antitrust and legal efforts to um, rein in some of these big companies uh, make enough progress uh, prior to this next quantum level expansion or not, uh, in which case we could end up in a world that is dominated by a handful of big companies that have more power than most countries um, uh, and are effectively uh, impossible to rein in. Riley? 
So the House Republicans' efforts to build an impeachment case against President Biden kind of reached a new level yesterday. Uh, Representative Comer, who's the chairman of the Oversight Committee, authorized subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, as well as a few others. Um, And this is just part of the ongoing effort to try and find evidence to build an impeachment inquiry, given that they don't have any yet and probably will not find any. But it's just, again, this bizarre attempt to impeach Biden, really just do kind of what they're accusing the Democrats of doing with an actually politically charged impeachment process that really has no basis in reality that we know of. Well, the thing is, the the thing is, this is how this works. They go out, they make accusations. They make accusations for two years. Every accusation they make is a headline on Fox every day for two years. If they end up saying, we're not doing this anymore, that's a one-day story. So they get two years of beating up on Biden because, you know, Hunter didn't floss when he was a child. Um, and, uh, that you know, that gives them the, the, the boost that they want going into an election year. They don't care about the facts uh, and they are not accountable to anybody. So it doesn't matter that they don't. Chris? In an effort to highlight good news, um, the Actors Guild and Hollywood Studios have reached a tentative agreement uh, to end the actor strike, which has been going on since May of this year. Um, obviously, <laughs> this is a this is a good development for a number of reasons. Um, as I know, m- you know, many people turn to various uh, forms of entertainment or substances uh, in Ohio. They can legally now turn to weed. Um, but entertainment is a big piece of how people, you know, kind of, uh, deal with the world. And I'm happy that this agreement has been, uh, has been reached. Um, it still needs to be ratified. Um, but I don't, and the, sadly, I don't think the agreement is going to bring, uh, the next, uh, season of Yellowstone here any faster. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you and and your loss in that regard. But the reality is, uh, quite apart from what it means for the entertainment business, uh, there have been a number of big strikes in the past year, and labor has made big gains. Whether it was the WGA, whether it's uh, um, uh, the auto workers, whether it's SAG and AFTRA, whether it's some smaller unions at some smaller media shops, whether it's um, gains that have been made against. Uh, 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 you know, hosp- by hospitality workers, um, and and you know, this was a movement we thought was dead. We didn't think unions mattered that much. Not only do they, but you know, younger people, Gen Z, are completely invested in this idea that they need um, the power of collective action to offset the concentrated power of the people who run companies. Um, and I think we're just in a beginning phase. And, and, and we could see, you know, decades more of this for, you know, in part because of the reasons I cited a moment ago. Riley. Yeah. So just to highlight kind of another ongoing conflict in the world that isn't making as many headlines in Myanmar, there's been a conflict essentially since 2021 when a military junta took power. They've been fighting with various armed groups throughout the country, but it really reached a critical point recently when this Uh, it's called the Three Brotherhood Alliance. And they'd been kind of involved in some skirmishes, but hadn't really been involved in heavy fighting. 
they really launched an offensive in the northern state of Shan. And they've claimed to captured more than 100 military outposts and seized control of several major highways and border crossings, which is significant because supposedly these crossings make up more than 40% of cross-border trade with China. Um, and actually, the Junta spokesperson admitted that they'd ceded control of three towns in the region. So they're making a lot of gains. Experts say that this could be kind of the first cracks for the Junta. It could really do some damage to their hold on the country. And as this has happened, other groups throughout the country have also been seizing some territory. So a turning point in that conflict be interesting to see where it goes and who's going to grab power after this. All the groups are pretty fragmented and have very disparate goals, as you can imagine. So hard to say what the future is for the country. Uh, uh, important story, and we're going to continue to try to uh, each and every day highlight one of the stories that isn't making it into the daily news that you get, uh, perhaps more than that. Uh, that's one of the points of what we're doing here. We hope you like what we're doing. And if there's stories you want us to cover that we're not, you know, flag it for us. Uh, send us an email, send us a tweet, put it in a Slack mention, um, uh, and we'll adjust and we'll, we'll, we'll help develop this thing. We also like your feedback and your questions. So again, please do that. We've got some interesting big announcements coming up of things that we've got cooking that are going to expand our offering and do so in a very cool way. So, uh, that's just a couple of weeks away. We want you to keep an eye out for that. Uh, the show we're doing later today is going to be a conversation with our friends uh, Simon Rosenberg and Tom Bonnier on the recent election. Uh, as you know, during the run-up to the 2022 midterms, uh, we had a regular show with uh, Simon, in which Tom appeared periodically, uh, in which they tried to uh, provide an antidote to some of the political nonsense that you're hearing in the more mainstream uh, uh, media sources. Uh, and as it happened, they and we, I would add, were right about what the outcome is. So if you want to have an ongoing look at what's going on in 2024 and where it's going to lead, uh, we think we've made the case uh, that you should be joining us. Please do. Until then, thank you, Riley. Thank you, Chris. And thank you, everybody, for listening.